How you doing, everybody? This is Dennis Michelson. Welcome to the Data Lab on For Frequency's Sake. This is where all the number crunching gets done. Part of the scientific method of making you a better fantasy football player. Hey, it's work for the professor and I, and we know it can work for you as well. And speaking of the professor, he is the fantasy professor. It's John Bush. John, welcome back. Dennis, I got a little crud in my throat here. It's changing of the seasons. The so-called El Nino weather. So I'm wondering how that's going to play this year. At least that's what the weather forecasters that I follow on Twitter, the local, I like to follow my local guys, and uh, they were discussing uh, wetter winter for Arkansas and uh, temperatures are probably not about normal. And I think you guys might be a little more snowy, a little colder in an El Nino kind of thing. They were showing some maps that I was looking. So then I started wondering, and maybe we'll talk about this next week on one of our podcasts, uh, there's something to consider. Is that going to affect things, uh, you know, down the road something for us to think about yeah it's el nino and the way some folks react to this is one of the more misunderstood type of patterns because a typical el nino pattern this is not a strong one this year so maybe this is what your local guy was kind of factoring into the mix but up here in the uh, upper Midwest area, uh, we tend to be more Northwest flow in those uh, with the jet stream pattern way aloft. And that tends to keep our storminess down uh, for most of the winter. And we don't typically see a really brutal winter when we have an El Nino. And if we get any nasty weather, it's late. Typically, this El Nino pattern for the southeastern United States means a wetter and uh, lower than normal temperature trend because of all the cloudiness and all the, the moisture, you're kind of in the middle. You're well, in they the... were normal temperatures, but wetter. So we're yeah. In spite of that weather. Yeah, and that's because you're in the middle of that. You're not far enough north, obviously, to be affected by the northwest flow aloft so it shouldn't affect your precipitation pattern that much but you're too far west to benefit from the wetter conditions that the southeastern u.s should experience so you're kind of in the middle there that's interesting and this el nino pattern is unique for two reasons and there's actually a tie-in to fantasy football believe it or not folks but this El Nino pattern, this is the first year because we've been in a La Nina for two consecutive years. Now we're switching to an El Nino. But there's two very curious things about this pattern. One, the overall ocean temperatures in the Pacific are really up this year. And that was one of the reasons we saw such a devastating uh, hurricane be able to hold together and actually intensify as it hit landfall for Acapulco recently. 
But the other factor in there is it's not a particularly strong El Nino. And sometimes those first El Ninos after the uh, after two consecutive La Ninas doesn't have quite the punch of an El Nino pattern, except for delaying the onset of winter in the northern United States. So for fantasy footballers, remember last year we had that heavy, heavy snowstorm in November in Buffalo. Right. We might actually see a more docile weather pattern in the northern United States uh, on into December, uh, which will actually kind of give us a better fantasy football playoffs for the northern teams. But it's it's always a fascinating thing to look at with weather trends based on El Ninos. The other factor on the El Nino, so there's actually three, is not only is it weak, but it's already peaked. So it's peaked in October, which was really early, and now it's starting to decrease a little bit. It'll naturally decrease as you get into January, February, but by then it'll probably be in a neutral Enzo pattern by the time we're finished with the first quarter of the of the new year. So how much that will affect the big picture on things is, is a little bit suspect. But right now, if I were a betting man, I would say winter will be delayed for the northern U.S., which is great news for fantasy football. Well, Professor, uh, I've been playing with this MVP index for the last six weeks now, and I understand you have some interesting way that you're looking at the data. Yeah, well, I I will get to that. I just wanted to kind of uh, look through your metric lens at Burrow since we lost him. And I'm looking at his numbers. He was the number four weekly value. That that would seem to be not a a good good loss. You know, it'd be hard to make up. He was in the consistency. What is it? He was pretty high up, like number seven or so. Yes. Uh, MVP, a big pitcher this year and last year. He was kind of uh, probably in, if you think, uh, Allen at 97 and then Mahomes and Hurts. Burrow was in that next block. So tier three with Prescott, of course, Burrow and Murray, which is coming back. So we lose one in that tier, but we gain one. So people that held on to Murray, that was uh, could be really good news. So, uh, but I noticed coming up to his injury, he had 22 as his MB, uh, MP, MVP 23 data, which was one of the, I'm, I'm going to say it, one of the worst as consistency and I'm just wondering now that we are speculating about you know is hurt Paul and how long it'd been hurt and all the secret stuff the NFL supposedly going to catch him on with that you know whatever he was wearing you wonder where now that you can 
you know, I know this Monday morning quarterback, and that's what we do, right? We we won't they won't let us on Twitter if we don't red ball <laughs> Monday morning quarterback, right? To make ourselves look good. You know, fantasy receipts tracks all that. They can certainly jump in. But he got a twenty two, Dennis, and let's just say Allen is at a ninety nine. Herbert this year out of that third tier, 89, uh, looking good. Hurts at 78, Prescott 74. So if we looked at the tiers this year, it looks like Allen, Herbert won, and then Hurts, Prescott, and that's it, two. So Burrow was not in that either one of those top two tiers. No, his his injury to the calf muscle really slowed him down in the first several weeks of the season. If you look at his games, he did not hit what I consider a consistency level, an acceptable consistency level of of play until week five. His three of his, uh, actually all four of his first weeks were subpar. And then week six against the Seattle defense, he was subpar as well. He really was just coming into his own recently. Uh, You throw out the Seattle game and that's four out of five where he hit that consistency number. But all season, Professor, he only had one, uh, which what I like to call... uh, weak winning performances and it just barely made that threshold that was against San Francisco where he threw for three touchdowns so it was a down year for Joe Burrow but he was rounding into form nicely here um, again using the horse racing analogy he started out and he it took him a while to to play himself into form and if you were riding the the train there with, with Joe Burrow as your number one quarterback, that was yeah. difficult. Early in the season in one of my leagues, but it's an auction league, I had uh, Kirk Cousins and Joe Burrow as my two quarterbacks. In auction leagues, I sometimes like to have two pretty decent quarterback value guys. And I got Burrow pretty cheap because of the injury. I didn't play him. In the first four weeks, I played Kirk Cousins until Cousins got hurt. Then I transitioned to Burrow. But this is a case, Professor, where the MVP 23 numbers for the whole 23 season show you one picture. But if I were to do that for just the last five weeks, he would have had a about a 65-70 rating. So he was definitely rounding into form, but after a very slow start. So I'm wondering, can now that he's gone, is there, Dennis, if you were just kind of looking at starting over, uh, some names that come to my mind, if I wanted to start people over him, assuming that might be, I don't know, on the waiver wire, but maybe tradable for Shroud is one that comes up. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of looking at the MVP 23, your data. Tua, 
uh, even Sam Howell, uh, Purdy, and Goff. And, of course, you know, Murray's, you know, we'll see. But those seem to be the ones that people might uh, fish for if they can trade. And maybe Fields coming back. I don't know. His weekly values had been as strong as some of those others. But maybe him. But that's that's kind of the name of, and you're getting a mix match in that group of quarterbacks of consistency and, you know, whatnot. So, I mean, you're, you're kind of in a bind, but what do you expect, right? The, the number four quarterback or whatever, some ways goes down. So did any of those names ring, you know, ring something to you as you look at your data? What's well, maybe trade for? Yeah, it's very interesting you say that because when I lost Kirk Cousins, uh-huh. I grabbed Sam Howell. Okay, in this, this same yeah, this same auction league when I lost Cousins, Howell was still available because people weren't a believer yet. And I'm not so sure he's a franchise-style quarterback, but in fantasy football, he's a good and good plug-and-play that is not going to hurt you. That's what the MVP 23 index tells us with a ranking of, of 40 points versus Josh Allen at 90. No, it's not bad. It's it's a it's a startable quarterback. And so when I lost uh when when I lost Burrow this mm-hmm. week and it and it appeared he was not going to be around. This is before they said he was out for the season, but you know, I was figuring I'm going to lose him and I could lose him for the rest of the year if it if this injury is more serious. I made the pivot and got rid of Jaleel McLaughlin as one of my backup running backs, and I was able to pick up Russell Wilson. Again, not a guy who's going to win you the week, but his MVP index is curiously identical to Joe Burrow's here this season. Well, that's interesting. Uh, So uh, it, it hit me that when your MVP 23 uh, kind of allows us to see something that may be a danger sign. So if I was looking at your data, I'm wondering, you know, did we know early on, hey, I better stack Burrow with somebody else and you could have picked up a Murray or, or you know, somebody to you know, get ready for, you know, uh, bad times. I guess maybe, you know, it's the forge and hoard thing. So would you say that is, I mean, it's something I know you'll test, but what you think about that is a, is a metric to protect yourself <laughs> against, uh, you know, bad, kind of insurance, let's call it insurance. Yeah, and insurance is a great way to put it, Professor, because with Joe Burrow and the way he is, so here's my strategy in a typical 10 or 12 team shallow roster, shallow bench, you know, six, seven players on the bench. 
typical of most ESPN, NFL fantasy lineups in, in most redraft type of, of settings. It happens to be pretty close to my auction league as well. Usually, in those leagues, if I have one of the top four or five quarterbacks in fantasy football, I usually don't back them up. But because Burrow had a slow start to his season and to his stats, and because his consistency was down for this season, I looked at that data and I backed him up in every league that I had in my home league where I was starting Joe Burrow. I picked up Trevor Lawrence (laughs) and I also stashed Kyler Murray because he was on the pup list and there's a reserve list in this league. So I, when I needed to switch out kickers for the first time during my bye week, instead of picking up another kicker right away, I picked up Kyler Murray and stashed him in the reserve. So when Kyler Murray recently came off of the IR, I let Trevor Lawrence go because Trevor Lawrence is really, I mean, if you look at the MVP 23, he's barely registering. Okay. He is struggling this year. He's not having a good season. He's not having a good run of it. He's minus when it comes to the MVP index, both in the big picture and this season and actually down a little more this season. So I grabbed, I let him go in favor of Kyler Murray, and now losing Burrow, I'm looking at the quarterback landscape, and it's pretty lean. Um, So I'm a little bit worried going forward now because I do not have many good choices when it comes to quarterback, and somebody else grabbed Trevor Lawrence already. So I'm going to have to go shopping for somebody or a prop. Yeah, Burrow's replacement. I might Uh, take a shot at that. Yeah, I might might just take a shot at that because it's a good offense. And there was recently on on Twitter yesterday, there was kind of a, I'm going to say it, an annoying post made by ESPN's Mina Kimes about Jake Browning. And she said, as a UW fan, because she's from the Pacific Northwest, she says, as a UW fan who watched Jake Browning his whole season, he was a pretty good punter. And famously, there was a third and long where he did like a little hooch punt. Okay. This guy threw his sophomore season at UW, he threw 43 touchdowns with only nine interceptions. That was his career year in college but that was a pretty good career here he leads the pack 12 in passing yards and unless Penix passes him this year or Bo Nix that record will stand forever in the annals of college football so I don't know I, to me I thought it was pretty annoying I probably will bring pick him up because that's a good passing offense you've got good receivers up and down that lineup i'll probably pick him up as a replacement i'll I'll definitely roll with murray but i don't feel safe with murray coming off a knee injury to to roll my dice with just kyle kyler murray so that's kind of how i look at roster development at the quarterback position 
If I've got a Josh Allen, a Patrick Mahomes, even maybe even a Dak Prescott this year, or Justin Herbert, I roll the dice. And I don't worry about a backup quarterback. But if the MVP 23 index, if their current season is down from historic numbers, I'm probably grabbing myself a backup okay. quarterback that's pretty good. Okay. Andrews is out. I'm looking Oof. at your data. Uh, Andrews was number two in weekly value and uh, MVP. He was in his own tier. Uh, Hawkinson this year has moved up and actually surpassed Andrews, of course, is a 110. So it was Kelsey 113. You know, too much Argentinian food or something <laughs> for that boy. I'm going to have to make some calls, Dennis. Okay. Hawkinson, and boy, it it it's this continuation of the elite one, two, or three, and then, you know, good luck on the next tier. That would have been Laporta, Kittle. Then you're getting into Waller, who's out, to Joku, McBride, Ferguson. I mean, he gets lean. Lean quick. Uh, so is there is likely because he's not on this list. Is he a viable uh, person to go for probably next week? I'm sure he's locked this week. Or are you going to be hunting? I mean, I know you'll probably take likely, but is there somebody else using your data that we should think about? if we could trade or even off the waiver wire at this point? Well, in redraft leagues, one guy that was dropped in many leagues when he got hurt was Pat Freermuth. So if you didn't pick up Freermuth this week, and he should start this week, you're going to probably be out of luck on him going forward. But other than that, the waiver... It's lean at tight end. I probably, in, in that same auction league team, Professor, that has uh-huh. already lost Cousins and now Burrow and also lost Kyron Williams as a running back. But you're okay because you didn't have Andrews, right? No. Uh, I have Andrews on that yeah. team as well. <laughs> Who'd you piss off? <laughs> That's bad. Then your mojo's not working for you. Thursday night football is not kind to me this week, but in that league, I don't carry a backup tight end because Man. it's so lean there. Um, I'll probably go shopping and I'll probably end up with going after likely, but my problem, Professor, oh. is in that league, it's not a bidding war for players. Oh. It's a it's a waiver position. Oh. Okay. So I'm the top dog in that league, first Whoa. place. And I am waiver wire priority 11 right now because the guy who was higher, one of the people that was higher than me used it last week. So I have a robust only one person behind me now in waiver wire i'll probably go for likely but whether i get likely or not is not likely 
So yeah. I may end up with a with a you know a Hunter Henry or somebody of that ilk. Um, maybe a Juwan Johnson will be available because he's been so bad. People have been throwing him away. Hope he gets hot here, but yeah, it's going to be lean for that team with all the injuries that have happened with Waller. You know, that means Bellinger's out of play now uh, with Goddard hurt. Nobody seems to be picking up Jake Stoll, but nobody knows what he'll do. Uh, you got to also have Albert O, the old uh, Denver Broncos tight end that everybody loved a couple of years ago. Uh, he is on that Eagles roster, but nobody understands how that's going to break down snaps wise. Now, the good news is I'll have a game on Monday night to see who the lead tight end might be with Goddard out. And that might give me a hint on who I might want to pick up if likely is not available. Or maybe one of those tight ends will show that they can do better than what I expect out of likely. It's it's lean pickings, Professor, but you're right. I, I definitely uh, ticked off the fantasy football god some way, but it's better to lose two players while you're in first place than while you're in sixth place. Okay. Those are my uh, questions. I have some other thoughts. This, this is kind of going out on a limb a little bit. So I was working up the data, me and the editor, he assigned me, you know, he likes bright, pretty colorful data. Your articles, I don't know why, but he likes to spiff up stuff for you. So, uh, you know, know what, what kind of payola you're throwing at him. But <laughs> anyway, uh, I started thinking, if we as consumers of your MVP data and if we pushed it to the nth degree could that give us any leverage to go out and maybe make some bar bets or some super bowl bets so i did this data here dennis has seen it for the first time i just looked at the team versus the players you ranked in this week and I just did a count, simple count. And I colorized the teams that you had ranked five versus teams you had ranked two and one. And the top teams are Buffalo, Dallas, Detroit, Miami, Pittsburgh. And you're like, wow, hey, I see why Dennis has got those ranks. So, first question, Dennis, look at KC. You only ranked two. So, there's a little bit of an issue there. Uh, but anyway, people can look at this and maybe is there some data that we can pull? So, if I then superimpose Super Bowl odds, and so I've got the number of players ranked, the team, and then in triangles, Dennis, it's Super Bowl odds. This was all fan duel. And then I have a line where it's kind of kind of the favorites, if we have, have favorites. And we can see way down there. Look at KC. Their odds are 
you know, Vegas loves them, but Dennis is MVP 23. You only got two players. So I'm just wondering, is this a way? And if you look, there's correlations here, Dennis, with some of the teams with a sad perspective, right? That, I mean, Vegas says, for instance, uh, Arizona, Chicago, New England, uh, the Jets, and Carolina have no chance. I mean, they give you odds, but it's come on. <laughs> chance. And if you look at some of the ones that are really extreme, many of those teams, with a couple of exceptions, fall into your player rankings of three, two, and one. So if you look at some of those teams that, you know, you might think, well, they may be a little bit more active. But if we if we look, though, at your data and superimpose it, it looks to me the best play, Dennis, believe it or not, is Buffalo. So you can comment on KC being the underlay of, it, it, again, I know I'm extreme. I'm pushing the MVP to the limit. But Buffalo would be the top overlay if we use this as a metric. What say you? What I think, and this this same opinion I would have before I looked at the data, okay? There is a huge difference between fantasy football and real football. I knew you would go this way. And just, I, just to let you know. <laughs> and I've never been a big believer that the quality of fantasy football players can clue you in to who has the best chance of winning in real football. Because in, in real football, you have some teams that prefer to spread out the volume like a Philadelphia. Now Philadelphia shows up pretty big in this grouping right now because they they've done quite well on on putting together a terrific offense with a lot of big playmakers. About five players. Right? They're in the they're in the five range. Yeah, and in fact, Dennis, I've got these figures that I'll add to your article. Here are the ones uh, that you've ranked, and this is their MVP twenty three. Yep. So you've got five here: Hertz, Swift, Goddard, Brown, Smith. Yeah, and and, not a lot of teams have a call it a full hand. No, full hand. That is a full hand, but I'm not sure it means anything when it comes to real football. Though we know that these players are really good real football players as well. But the one thing that does not show up anywhere in this is how big of a factor is a quarterback in the overall schemes. In other words, in this ranking, an elite uh-huh. quarterback only counts as one point. Yeah. yeah. I think the quarterback position might be a little more important than that in real football. So I'm saying maybe in real football, a quarterback landing in that group is worth like three points. But the other thing that doesn't get factored in here, of course, is the old adage, 
and it's still true to some extent because we we always see a team that uh, team defense that is either good at getting if they're not really statistically great as far as how many points they give up like last year's Kansas City Chiefs defense was middle of the road in points given up middle of the road in yards given up but you know what they were really good at getting turnovers and getting those 30 and outs at the right time where they could flip field position. That was what they were really good at last year that didn't really show up in the big picture of defensive stats. Defense still wins championships. If you have a defense that takes the ball away and a defense that can get those big plays at the right time, combined with a full deck on the offensive side. And that's kind of Miami right now. Even though they haven't beat a great team yet, they haven't beat a team with a winning record all season. Miami has the offense stacked, and they have a defense that did does similar things like Kansas City's did last year where they can get those turnovers at key times. But um, I think there's such a divide between fantasy football and real football. I'm not so sure the MVP 23 is going to give us a good clue as to who the best real teams are yet. I I admit I push this just to kind of have a good talking point. Uh, But I think also team structure in the fantasy lens I think if we look at this, and I've got every team with all the players you've ranked and what they are, so we can compare. Let's compare Minnesota and Miami. Uh, look at look at what Minnesota is a four. They don't have a running back. Miami's got you know pretty much five hands, so they've got a two-headed running back situation. And Philadelphia has, you know, won and they have a tight end. So I'm wondering at the end of the year, is the predictiveness maybe not for Super Bowl odds? Okay, I know I pushed it there, but that's my job. <laughs> wondering the structure, Dennis, that your MVP kind of focuses on, is that a telltale and maybe something for us for next year. And we'll, we'll, we'll look at that. But I'm, if you looked at Minnesota, Miami, Philadelphia, it would be clear the, the similarities in the difference. If you stack those up so people could start doing that and thinking, you know, about trades and things and, and, but there may be some Super Bowl bets or winning the division bets. I mean, there still may be some secret stuff in here. But uh, Miami doesn't have a tight end. Philadelphia has one cor- uh, running back, according to your data. So it would be curious to see. And then Kansas City only has two. It would be curious to see as the smoke clears was team structure by MVP uh, predictive of things that could be useful for next year's draft or, or dynasty. So that's what I was 
originally working on Dennis, and then I got the crazy idea of the Super Bowl. So to me, I guess I'm on my last big part of this team structure using your MVP. Walking away from a real football back to fantasy. What you think about that is maybe using predictively, maybe even early season. I would love to do early season, which we had five or six years and say, okay, the first seven weeks, this is what we see. How does that help us for the playoffs? Could this predict us? And then we look to build on, you know, the depth of, you know, the handcuff, handcuff on somebody like Miami. I mean, they've got two running backs that are supporting. So if, if both are back, and then that's fine. But imagine, say, Mostert gets hurt. You know, if you kind of know this is what Miami probably needs this year, this is their structure, is that a priority over, say, uh, I don't know, Pittsburgh, you know, with Harris? I, you didn't wait, rate Warren. People think he's taking over this week. That kind of thing. In other words, it, I think the structure that you're telling us from your MVP could enlighten us for a lot of things beyond what I think maybe you thought about. Um, that was the real professorish stuff. Yeah, and I think there is something to that. And I actually think that a balanced team might give you a better targets for uh, value plays at certain positions. I mean, we're seeing that with Philadelphia this year where I love DeAndre Swift in the preseason. I thought he was so undervalued with his ADP and he's proving it. Um, so yeah, we I think a, there's we had a good time with Swift. Oh, we're, we are full of a lot of DeAndre Swift on our best ball teams as well. He, he was just one of the best values. And one of the reasons I liked him is because that, Philadelphia offense is stout you know they did have a great you knew they had a great quarterback two great wide receivers and a great tight end so they had a great passing attack that would need to be defended and the right running back would fit in that system and it's turned out to be DeAndre Swift even without heavy heavy volume because they still like to use two or three other running backs uh, each each week. So it it is sort of that deal where even without the high volume, he's gotten, he's gotten the play. And I, I think the team structure angle is going to be a great way to use this data as That's sort of I that. Really, yeah. yeah. I, I think there's something there. But yep. it, it also does tell you for real football, to kind of look at this team because if they've, if Philadelphia's defense can get it going here at the end of the year, they could be the toughest team in football because they've got an offense that is hard to stop. Yeah, I think they're number one with the odds. But anyway, uh, I, I did want to, at the end of the day, bring out the structure and wanted you to comment on it. And, uh, the kind of thing I think we can follow, and, and uh, I think there's some ideas 
that we can envision in our drafts for next year looking at this. Because when I do a lot of that uh, preseason uh, thinking, I look at target levels and distribution and, and, and trying to get an idea of how the team splits opportunities. And another way to get into that, and that's kind of a structure. So I think you, your MVP, uh, MVP 23 data, I guess next year will be 24 data. Uh, I think that can be added into that, and I think that might sharpen our strap sword a little bit. At least that's what I'm hoping. That was the big idea. And like I said, Dennis, the reason I bring these up on these things, uh, these podcasts, because if I don't, then I'll forget about it. You know, come next June, I'll be like, what was I supposed to be doing? And I think there is some structure uh, questions that can be answered. And also in the off-season, Professor, we have the data. I'm going to go back and retroactively look at an MVP 22, an MVP 21. Did we, nice. did we see some trends in that data the last couple of seasons that will give us a hint as to how to use this data in the future. Because if we go back and look at the last three seasons, that's three seasons worth of data, which is pretty good in fantasy football. One season never tells me much of anything because it can be highly erratic. But once you get three seasons, if the data shows us a predictability for the future, looking at 21 and 22 and forecasting 23, then we're pretty confident that knowing 21, 22, and 23 will be even more effective for forecasting 24. I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, we just, we need a two or three data walks to to help us. I I got so many ideas. And if anybody wants to contact us, we would love to, you know, somebody that had a data analysis or stats or math or anybody wants to get into that. I think Dennis has got the broadcasting side. I've got the crazy side and we can have fun with the stats. Both Dennis and I love. Yeah. So a lot of stuff here for folks to think about and we're, we're not done with this, you know. No, we don't put this away until we need it to prove a point. We're going to constantly keep, keep sharpening this stuff to try to make it better for you. So head on over to scienceoffantasyfootball.com. Check out all the data, folks, that's behind the Data Lab podcast. While you're at it, over there at scienceoffantasyfootball.com, check out our sister podcast twice a week. It breaks down all of the game matchups that you need for your fantasy football team. And, of course, head on back here next week for another edition of the Data Lab. It's a work, folks.